At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 355th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners, we want to know what you think about our podcast. You've been listening to me for almost three years now, and I want to hear from you. I have some very specific questions, including what you like about our podcast and where we should be going next. The important part is, I really want your opinion. I'm looking to connect with 50 listeners from no more than 10 minutes who are willing to share your thoughts. It's simple to sign up. Go to urbanfarm.org and look at the top menu. Sign up there. I look forward to chatting. This Urban Farm podcast is brought to you by Seed Bank Box, a monthly seed subscription for the urban farmer. Seed Bank Box is one great big seed surprise. Each month you get a shipment with 8 to 10 varieties of seeds, along with a description and planting instructions. Hit the Seed Bank Lottery. Get more information at urbanfarm.org forward slash seed bank box. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is part of the newest generation of urban farmers. We're talking with Shawan Tai about cultivating as millennial farmers. Shawan was born and raised in Phoenix, leaving just long enough to earn a BS in molecular and cellular biology from the University of Arizona in Tucson. There he studied controlled environment agriculture, plant biochemistry, and genetics. He returned to Phoenix and did tissue culture research at a medical cannabis facility, where he would meet his future business partner, Jordan Beltran. After about a year, they decided to depart from the medical marijuana industry to start an urban farm together with their third partner, Alessia Sears. Beginning with only 2,000 square feet, they started Urban Farming Organics and were able to build a proof-of-concept urban farm. Then they competed at the Arizona State University's Venture Devils program, winning two rounds of substantial funding. Less than a year later, they have expanded their operation to an acre, supply several farmers markets, and share their knowledge and experience with the youth of the area. Welcome to the show today, Shawan. Are you ready to rock the urban farm? What's going on, Greg? I am super ready. Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Of course. Actually, before we get started, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on here. I'm actually, I've been listening to you for about a year now, so it means a lot to me personally to be on this show. Awesome. Thanks for that. Absolutely. Yeah, so a bit about my backstory. Like you said, I was born and raised here in Phoenix. Originally, I'm from the south side, but pretty much I've lived almost everywhere here in the city. The only time I left again to go to U of A down in Tucson to get my degree. Mm -hmm. Pretty much right after that, I got hired out of college to work in the cannabis industry, doing uh, tissue culture, doing a little bit of genetic modification. 
And I worked there for a little less than a year. And then me and Jordan decided to branch off and do our own thing and turn his, essentially what was his backyard into our first urban farm. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was super, super exciting. I learned a lot. It was so fun, so challenging, which is all things that are right up my alley. And then from there, I think right after we finished production on all the beds and everything, we competed in called Venture Devils Pitch Playoffs at ASU. It's essentially kind of an incubator for startups that are focused around entrepreneurship and innovation. We won the first time, I think, in April and then competed again this past December, and then we won again. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. And then so between the first time we won, the second time we won, we expanded from 2,000 square feet to a little bit over three quarter acres. And then now here soon we'll be expanding to and getting another quarter acre and just keep going on with production. Wow. So what got you interested in growing plants in the first place? If I'm honest, and this kind of might sound a little bit cliche, but it's kind of in my blood. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm a product of the Vietnam War. So my mom's from Cambodia, my dad's from Vietnam. Oh, wow. Both sides were farmers going back generations. And then as I was growing up, I tried everything in my power not to be a farmer. That's why I became <laughs> a scientist. That's why I pursued science so intensely. Uh-huh. I think it was my first year of U of A, I read a research article. It was the first time they sequenced the cannabis genome. Uh-huh. I was fascinated with sequencing genomes and breaking down the DNA. And from there, I just became obsessed, particularly with marijuana, just from a biochemistry standpoint and how versatile it was. That led me into studying how to grow. That's where I met up with some really great individuals at U of A, Sherry Kubota, Elliot Herman, Monica Schmidt, a lot of people who were very influential in teaching me how to grow, the importance of plant biochemistry and its relationship with how we consume it, our environment, the conditions of the soil and the microbiomes in the soil. So that's really where my passion for growing really started and continues today. Cool. So we've kind of touched on this whole notion of controlled environment agriculture, but what does that mean? So I guess the best way to sum it up or, or to make it more relatable is to think essentially greenhouse on steroids. So what we were doing at U of A, uh-huh. we were doing passive greenhouses, but we were also doing what's called growth chambers, which is essentially a sealed container type thing where everything is controlled. So oh, there's right. LED lights, mm-hmm. the temperature is controlled, the humidity is controlled, and that was beneficial for us because we were able to study different species and different conditions and do more experiments by being able to control every single facet of what we're doing of, of the growth of the plant, essentially. Uh-huh. And that naturally translated to medical marijuana, which that's primarily what's done, especially with the hydroponics and everything. Right. The number one issue with medical marijuana is contamination. So naturally, I was a really great candidate to fall into that industry. Right. That led you to really growing food for people to eat. So why the transition from the medical marijuana industry into, you know, growing groceries for people? For myself, over everything is science exploration, my creativity and my ability to build things myself. When you get into an industry that's more focused on selling pounds and pounds and essentially the corporation aspect of it, creativity is really stifled. Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty much why I ended up leaving because there's things I wanted to accomplish and things I wanted to build. And I wanted to help a lot more people 
than I could. I mean, the entire reason why I became obsessed and had an interest in marijuana was I was studying it and its application to cancer. That kind of falls in line with growing, you know, organic produce. That was for me, and it still is, the best way for me to give more to people than I take. Cool. So really you're in it for the health of it. The health of it for me, but also for the people around me. Like, yeah. I grew up pretty much living at the poverty line almost my entire life. Mm-hmm. And where I grew up, nutrient-dense organic produce is something no one ever hears. No one talks about it. Like I grew up on ramen noodles and knockoffs of Oreos and soda and stuff like that. So nutrition was not the number one priority. It wasn't until I went to college that I realized that nutrition is key, especially when we're talking about brain power. Right. And you're trying to learn stuff and communicate and trying to just have the basic building blocks to have a sustainable life for yourself. So that's another way I got really into thinking about what I put into my body. Yeah. And I want to share that with people who don't necessarily have that opportunity now, at least. Yeah. Well, I want to remind everybody out there listening that we're talking to a millennial farmer, are we not? Correct. Yeah. So you're younger and, and I love hearing these words come out of your mouth to you know share with the world because we need more millennials out there doing this. So you used the word microbiome a little while ago, and I want to kind of explore that a little bit and how it plugs into your health. So tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could talk about it in many ways. We could talk about the microbiome of the soil, or we could even get into the microbiome of ourselves as an organism. Mm -hmm. Like we are an entire ecosystem in ourselves, but for the sake of the urban farm, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that we focus primarily on is soil health. So that soil health is more than putting, you know, just nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus into your soil. Another thing we look at is the microbiology in the soil, the microbiology in the compost we put in. And also what I'm learning more and more about every day is the importance of actual fungi and mycelium and mycorrhiza in the soil, which all help break down the molecules in the soil so the plant could readily absorb it uh -huh. so it can grow and then we can consume those nutrients. Yeah. And you have a microbiology background and there's this magic that happens between the fungus and the mycorrhiza and the plant roots. Can you speak to that? Are you talking about the exchange of nitrogen or are you talking about the exchange of nutrients and the symbiosis between the mycorrhiza and the roots where they're able to break down compounds that are normally readily available to the plant roots. Uh -huh. So because of the mycorrhiza are working in symbiosis, they're able to break down these complex molecules that can be readily absorbed by the roots of the plants that typically normally wouldn't happen. Right. So what are some of the challenges that you faced in starting an urban farming business? Primarily, the first issue, right, is where are we going to grow? I know that a lot of people don't necessarily have the access to huge plots of lands or even like 5,000 square feet or something like that. So we just made do with what we had, which was Jordan's backyard. Mm -hmm. And then as we started to cultivate that and rework the soil, which had been sitting as just basically dirt and weeds and stuff, some of the other challenges we, we faced were not so much insect pressure, but we had a lot of weed pressure. Oh, I'm yeah. sure you're, you're probably <laughs> experienced that. Oh, that. yes. That grass has been the bane of my existence. That, we're living in Arizona, you know, we have 360 days of sun, but with that comes a lot of heat. 
Mm-hmm. So we faced a lot of issues with learning how we were going to water. So getting the water schedule down, how often we would water, because that changes. We started in March, so we were only watering once, maybe twice a day if we needed to. But then going into summer, we ended up having to do like three times a day. Wow. I was going to ask you about the watering at your new facility because I was I recently met you at your farm at a new facility and you're flood irrigating that. How does that work? Yeah, and that that was very interesting because we went from watering with using a sprinkler system and drip irrigation to a whole new system of watering, which is, like you said, flood irrigation, which came with its own list of issues and things that could go wrong. It was a really steep learning curve. So when we first went there and started irrigating, there was a lot of blowout with the berms. Our canals that we, were, that we made were dug out and sometimes those would blow out. We faced issues with, is the water coming too fast? So is it washing over the plants? Is it watering too slow. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the game. So we're with the way we farm in our beds. That's something that we always have to keep in mind. So when we're watering at the 2000 square feet plot, it was something we can just put on a timer and then just not pay attention. But when we do flood irrigation, it's something that you really have to pay attention to. Yeah. Now flood irrigation, tell everybody a little bit about what that is and how it works. Yeah. So with flood irrigation, we get our water through the canal system here in Arizona. It's called the Salt River Project here. Basically, we order water, certain amount of flow for a certain amount of time, and it's our job to open up the gates and direct that water to the right crops that we want to water. So it basically looks like a great big lake. You know what? It can. If you do not pay attention and you get a blowout, it's supposed to look more like a river, but it can turn (laughs) into a lake real quick. Yeah. Perfect. You started to say a little earlier that your biggest challenge, so I want you to finish that thought. Yeah. I mean, going into this venture, we pretty much started with whatever was in our pockets. Like Jordan, Elise and I didn't really have anything saved up. So we were just working as we go. So in the day we would farm and then at night we would do our secondary jobs. So the biggest issue I've faced really was my time management. So how do I allocate time to do farming and take care of all things that come with that. And then Mm -hmm. at the same time, later that same day, work so I can provide for myself and my family and stuff like that. Yeah. Welcome to living in the 21st century, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I want to shift a little bit. And you have a degree from Arizona State University, yes? Correct. And what's it in? My actual degree is in molecular and cellular biology. Nice. It sounds very precise, but it's It's actually pretty broad when you think about all the things you could do with that kind of degree. Got it. And you competed in something called the Arizona State University's Venture Devils Program. Tell me about what that was like getting ready for it and then presenting at it and then actually winning twice in a row. Tell me about that. Oh, man. It was something else, I'll tell you. It was really challenging for me. I mean, I did the pitch. I wrote it and everything. And What was different is that I come from like a research background, I come from academic background where I'm used to presenting my work to my peers. So people who know what I'm talking about, people who have an understanding of what I'm doing. But now I go to the pitch playoffs, which is essentially a competition. It's essentially like Shark Tank. (laughs) I was super nervous. I, I went over time, then I had to compress months of work and years of experience into five minutes. Wow. When we left the judge panel, I, I thought for sure we were not going to get it. We went across the street, you know, we had a couple beers, and we came back, and they 
we're sitting in the audience watching the award ceremony. All of a sudden, they call our name. And all three of us literally jumped up in surprise, and we ran to the stage. <laughs> it was a really memorable experience. And then the second time, it was still pretty special. Like, we didn't think we were going to get funded again. Our process and our pitch was more polished. Same kind of thing happened. I didn't think we were going to get it. And then we get back to the award ceremony, and they call our names. And again, we jump up and start yelling. And yeah, now we're here. Nice. And so what kind of funding did you receive and what did you use it for? We haven't even used the entire funding yet. So the first time we were, I think there was 300 teams competing. So we were one of 23 teams that got funded. Congratulations, man. Yeah. And the first time we ended up getting 20000 to start. And then the second round, we ended up getting eleven, I think. Wow. And what are you using those funds for? Mainly a small portion of it has gone to seeds, but a lot of it has gone to some really crucial machinery and equipment that we needed, kind of like tillers. We just bought our first greenhouse that we're getting ready to put up, hoop houses, some washing equipment, and then we're getting ready to build a mobile walk-in cooler as well. Oh, nice. So tell me about the property that you have most of your land out right now. As of now, we have about half an acre at a place called Spaces of Opportunity. And what that is, is it is a, I believe, 10 acres of land set aside in South Phoenix to do incubator farming. So I work with a wonderful individual by the name of John Wan over at the Orchard Community Learning Center who facilitates all of that stuff. And we just have been learning a lot from all the other farmers. There's, I think there's three or four of the farmers besides ourselves, and really just figuring this out, essentially. Yeah, well, you know, really, that's what farming in the city is really all about, is we've got to figure it out. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm one of these weird individuals where I value my failure much more than any of my successes. Mm, Nice. I think that the more you fail, the sweeter it pace when you persevere. Mm -hmm. But I'd probably say the biggest failure we've had was going back again to watering. I mean, here we live in the desert, so water is a very precious resource Mm -hmm. that we don't really want to waste. And a huge amount of our time has been spent learning the different watering practices, what's the most efficient, what's the most effective. Our goal is really to conserve as much water as possible. Beautiful. So what do you consider your biggest success? With UFO, I'd probably say my biggest success has been winning the Venture Double Pitch Playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really important to us as far as a business and a venture, but also I felt it was equally as important for the urban farm and urban agriculture movement because basically what they were saying is by backing us and giving us funding, they were saying that the number one university in the United States for entrepreneurship and innovation Mm -hmm. really understood what we wanted to do, the economical and social benefits of urban farming, and that they were invested in us and how we wanted to market and influence a new generation of farmers. Awesome. And, And what drives you? At my roots, I'm probably driven by my love of science and exploration. I was born a scientist and I'll die a scientist. (laughs) Me too. Thank you. I'll take it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Absolutely. With that comes an obsession, which drives me and allows me to have just tunnel vision and go after whatever I want. Another thing that drives me is my love to just work and create things. Mm -hmm. Another thing that drives me is that there are a number of people who are waiting for me to fail so I can do the stuff they want me to do and I can't wait to stick it to them. Uh, 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 uh. Or just show them that we can actually make a living urban farming. Yeah, no, it's, it's all fun. Yeah. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I actually have two books, one that's not going to be as popular to most readers mm -hmm. and one that's probably a little bit more reader friendly. So my growing in chemistry Bible is a book called Biochemistry and Molecular Biology of Plants. And I think that's by Buchanan and Jones. And that's essentially just a textbook, but I use it every day. It's about 1,300 pages. I've read wow. almost all of them. If you're serious about growing and you want to know the why, how things work, and then why they work, I think it's a really great resource to use. Uh -huh. Another book I'd probably say is really good and which really helped us through a lot is The Urban Farmer by Curtis Stone. Oh, yes. He does a great job going into what he grows, how he grows, his marketing strategy, and how you get from, I got all this stuff that I grew, how do I sell it, which is another important thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've for years I've told people that 50% of being a farmer is growing food. The other 50% is picking it, packaging it, marketing it, and making sure it doesn't, you know, stay stuck in the field. Yeah, and that part's way harder. I promise you. <laughs> exactly. Boy, I hear that. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? You know, I've gotten this question a lot lately since we started. We've talked to a lot of students about entrepreneurship around the valley, and mm -hmm. I always hesitate to give advice because in my mind, I'm thinking I'm just a regular dude. What do I know? Why are you listening to me? But I'm getting more comfortable with doing that. I'd probably say right now I'm 25, which means I'm either a quarter way done with a long life or halfway done with a short life, or I could die tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah. My life and time are too valuable to spend doing the bare minimum or even worse, doing stuff I hate to do all the time. Right. So my sole purpose in life has always been to find something for me to do that I'm passionate about that allows me to provide for my loved ones and gives me the opportunity to give people and the ecosystem and everything around me more than I take. For me, that's urban farming. I guess my advice to any listeners out there would be to find what that is for you. It might be urban farming. It could be something else. It could be selling shoes. It could be starting a podcast. Who knows? Yeah. So what I hear you saying is do what you love. Yeah, pretty much. And that sounds a little cliche and mushy, but I think that's really the path to happiness, at least here on this earth. At 57, when somebody asks me, you know, what's the secret? It's that's what I tell them. It's, you know, do what you love, man. Because if you spend your life miserable, you're miserable. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a happy dude every day. Good. People often say to me, Greg, why are you so happy all the time? And I say to them, because I have a choice every morning when I get up to be happy or not. And happy's more fun. Precisely. Yeah. We've been doing this for almost a year now. Uh-huh. And I have loved literally every second of what we're doing. Nice. Even the hard parts. I love the hard parts, especially because, again, I get to learn from that, and that's what I'm about. Cool. I have one bonus question for you here. It may be throwing a curveball at you, but if you look over the landscape of the past year that you've been doing this, and is there one incident, one person, one something that happened that moved you to tears and told you, yes, Juan, this is exactly 
what I'm supposed to be doing. Tell me about that. I don't know if I've ever been moved to tears before. Uh-huh. So one of the things we do aside from urban farming is we actually go into schools and we talk to kids but just about farming. What we do, these kids, I swear they don't get enough credit. Like these kids are smart. They know more about farming and agriculture than a lot of adults I know. Wow. And they're just super passionate. That's my favorite part of this job, if I'm completely honest, mm-hmm. is seeing these kids so passionate about something that is vastly important to human life. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Shawan. Yeah, no problem. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can like our page on Facebook, Urban Farming Organics. You can find us on our webpage at urbanfarmingorganics.com. Our Instagram is ufo.produce. Nice. Yeah, you can reach me specifically at sawan at urbanfarmings.com. Yeah, just follow us on social media. We got something coming up here in the next couple of months we're really excited about, and it's going to help out a lot of people, especially if you live in Phoenix, that we can't wait to get out. So keep an eye on us. If you see me on the street, come say hi. Perfect. So your email address again is? Sawan at urbanfarmingorganics.com. Perfect. That's S-O-W-A-N at urbanfarmingorganics.com. Perfect. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash UFO produce. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. We want to know what you think about our podcast. You've been listening to me for almost three years now, and I want to hear from you. I have some very specific questions, including what you like about our podcast and where we should be going next. The important part is I really want your opinion. I'm looking to connect with 50 listeners from no more than 10 minutes who are willing to share your thoughts. It's simple to sign up. Go to urbanfarm.org and look at the top menu. Sign up there. I look forward to chatting. As listeners to our podcast, you know that I love experimenting. And as urban farmers and gardeners, I can predict that you probably have done your fair share of experiments with new seed varieties. But if you are as busy as I am, sometimes just finding new seeds is a challenge. Well, what if someone else did the work for you? I'd like to introduce you to Seed Bank Box, an excellent source of non-GMO and heirloom seeds delivered right to your door. Each month, you will receive 8 to 10 surprise seed varieties with information for each seed on a card you'll keep. It's time to start experimenting again. Let Seed Bank Box help you plant the garden of your dreams. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash seed bank box for more information and to sign up. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. 
Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves. Our sponsor this month is Seven Springs Farm Supply. They have been serving farmers and gardeners since 1990 and offer a comprehensive selection of soil amendments, growing mixes, pest and disease controls, and cover crop seeds for the organic grower. Regardless of your farm size, the crops that you grow, or where you farm, Seven Springs is a resource that you can trust to provide you with sound advice, the supplies you need, and quick and friendly service. Check out sevenspringsfarmsupply.com or give them a call at 800-540-9181 to learn more about the services they offer, including soil test reviews, custom fertilizer blending, and cooperative purchases. And hey, they're based in Virginia, ship nationwide, and they actually answer the phone. Give them a call. Urban Farm Podcast listeners get a 7% discount online with code URBAN7. To find more, go to sevenspringsfarmsupply.com or call them at 800-540-9181.